said, tell me what's really going on. Drizzy back up in this thing, I'm ready. What's happening? Gone for surgery, but now I'm back again. I'm about my paper like a motherfucking scratch and win. World Series attitude, champagne bottle life. Nothing ever changes, so tonight is like tomorrow night. I will have a model wife. Yo, bitches as hot as ice. Every time you see me, I look like I hit the Champions of the West. Woo. We uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We have uh, we have some U.S. Open uh, nonsense that happened in Shinnecock. Our uh, our guy Nick was actually there on the scene to give us a little behind the scenes update as to uh, how the guys couldn't manage to get the ball straight into the hole yeah, since nobody exactly. shot under par. We uh, have a little bit of uh, World Cup to get into. Sean, I feel like this is your uh, your first World Cup, kind of watching uh, with the eyes of me and Nick, and also probably with a little bit of gambling odds. So, interesting to hear what you have to say, and we're going to end with a little NBA draft. Um, so, let's kick it off. Uh, Nicky, as our golf expert, you know, Sean, Sean and I watch because of you. Um, if you don't already support Grayson, they make awesome clothes they have a couple golfers our first real sponsor they haven't quite made it yet we'd love to have grayson sponsor the podcast so charlie if you're listening hop on we need all that love we can get um what happened how is it that every single player managed to shoot over par uh for the entire tournament not just for one round i mean you were there tell us i guess a little bit about your experience and then kind of about the tournament as a whole yeah i mean I was there Saturday, so when the real carnage happened. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was the craziest golf course I've ever been on. Yeah. The greens were basically – I mean, the fairways themselves were cement, so the greens had to be even harder in terms of, you know, getting balls to stick on stick on them and, you know, spin them and things like that. Um, yeah, it was just incredibly hard, and then it got windy and dried yeah. it out even more. Um, so, yeah, it was awesome to see – Kepka come away with it. I mean, crazy, crazy odds on him to win that. Basically, even with five holes to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, two two in a row. I think only four or five people have done that. Wow. First one in 30 years, maybe. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty impressive because that course was, I mean, it was tough. Yeah, so, maybe so unfair. is that a product of Kepka just kind of knowing how to play? Is it because, you know, he played at the right time when the conditions were necessarily better? You know, I, if you shoot one over, I feel like at some point a little bit of luck comes into play, too, if that's the winning score. Like, what was it about Kepka that he was able to do that the other guys weren't? He made so many great bogey putts. Yeah. That he didn't have to make the double bogey. And, you know, I watched him on Saturday, and, like, his first hole, he made an unbelievable bogey on the first one on Saturday. I'm not surprised people haven't talked about that because he was in the bunker in three – pitched it over the green and and, uh, and had to get up and down from there and made like a 10-foot putt. Um, he was getting up and down, and I think other guys were, you know, missing putts, and you can attribute that to the course or maybe his mental toughness, but he just hit it closer when, when it happened. I mean, his up and down on 18, too, or whatever, to get that get that in for a five yep. from left of the green was pretty impressive. Where I think well, I mean, it's like whole almost like 13 and 14 or something in kind of the second half of the course where he was tested, right? He had an up and down for bogey, to your point, Nick, then made an up and down for par. And at the same time, DJ was stuck at close, missed a eight footer, missed something like that. And what what my takeaway was, Kepka kind of has everything you want in a golfer, right? He is, him and DJ, a pairing was great for the game of golf. Brooks, first of all, seems cerebral as heck. Uh, he was a flatliner, uh, great putter. I mean, he was a bl- long drive, right? Wasn't he beating everyone off, off the tee? Uh, yeah. He played in Europe, actually, for a while after college, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of his, and it seems like uh, fresh off of wrist surgery, he is back in prime shape and probably one of the top guys in in golf right now. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there's two guys I, I want to ask both of you guys about. So, Dustin Johnson's the first. So, he uh, he was cruising. He was, what, four under. Everybody thought that the tournament was pretty much in the bag for him. Um, and then he kind of just shit the bed on Sunday. Um, I don't know exactly what the result was because of you can probably speak to that better. Um, but the guy who was at the opposite end of the spectrum that managed to finish one stroke from the, from the leader 
was uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who had an unbelievable Sunday. He shot a 63. Um, what was it about DJ that he just wasn't able to get going, and why was Fleetwood able to put together such a good round on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think DJ played great. Obviously, the first two days was dominating. Thought, everyone thought he was just going to run away with it and kind of ran into a buzzsaw on Saturday. Last guy out on Saturday. Hardest, hardest conditions for anyone on the course were, yeah. were his two days um, on Saturday and Sunday. And I think he just ran into, you know, the perfect storm where he wasn't really hitting it that well. And he also wasn't making the putts that he normally makes. And you do that with the combination of Brooks Kepka making all those putts and hitting all the shots you had to hit and not making the big mistake that, uh, that DJ made on Saturday um, and moving backwards. I think it just kind of all came together. And I mean, Tommy Fleetwood, I love, I love Tommy Fleetwood. I think, I feel like everyone does. They have to. The dude's got major swag. And I mean, 63 U.S. Open record, you know, could have had the 62, probably should have had the 62, but an unbelievable round. Um, and he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you that. And he was the first one to say that when he got out, he said, yeah, I needed one more. He knew it was going to be a plus one. It seemed like the second he got off the course. And that would have been it. Yep. That would have, that would have saved him. Uh, Sean, that thoughts on DJ and thoughts on Tommy Fleetwood. I, I've always been kind of a fan of DJ as he seems pretty relaxed on the course, but in a weird way, he seems almost lethargic, but crumbles sometimes. I mean, he had those couple majors where he had a putt to win and a putt to tie, then he missed the putt and lost one of those U.S. Opens like four years ago. He had that blunder at Whistling Straits, and he also choked at the British Open. So he was like a nice guy, a good guy to grab a beer with and play some casual golf with. But Swing with? Um, yeah, if I'm, if I'm yeah. a betting man, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm a betting man, I don't know if my uh, if I'm putting my chips in, in DJ's in DJ's bag. One of the guy, one of the guys that I want to talk about was the Phil Mickelson yeah. uh, putt putt style. He uh, he grabbed a, a play out of my classic playbook as a you know handicap of 25 to 30, where misses the putt and before the ball stops, hits it to try to salvage the putt that he missed, which was incredible to see a professional player and a player that has been on the tour for what 15 20 years crumble like that um but also kind of goes to show how tough the, the conditions were on sunday on saturday and i'm pretty sure the usga actually admitted that the conditions were not what they were were harder than what they were planning on kind yeah, of i don't think anyone rolling wants to out. see pro players four putt yeah no that is that is absolutely insane so those are my takeaways. I'm excited for Brooks. I think he could be a really good face of golf, um, and and especially American golf. But the Phil thing is a is a good point. As someone that doesn't follow the tour as closely, it looked like Phil was kind of making a mockery of the whole thing, right? Um, I don't know whether it'll have lasting ramifications on his tour card, on kind of golf in general. But like, as somebody that that follows the tour closer kind of what are what were people saying uh, were people kind of annoyed that, that phil was kind of just fucking around and was like my round is over my you know I, i'm not going to win this tournament so I'm, I'm done kind of what like what what did you think and, and what was the overall takeaway in the golf community about that yeah i mean i think it's definitely uh definitely kind of a, a weak move by him yeah um he was definitely i mean he was out of the tournament he was 14 shots out of it i think at the time that that he hit it um so i mean there's no chance of him winning and i think he was just like yeah it's my birthday and i don't think it was premeditated in terms of i've always like he said i i've always wanted to do that and i just decided to do it i think he wanted to make a statement to the usga on the next hole even he hit his ball past the hole up a hill to try to have it come back off a hill to try to make a birdie that way so i think he was kind of showing him this is clown golf so why even play by the rules you guys aren't going to play by the rules um, yeah, and I mean, it got people talking, and I think for that's sure. all he cares about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so from getting someone to talk about you in a negative light to getting someone to talk about you in a positive light, let's move on to the World Cup. Um, we're gonna start with the only team that has won two games in the World Cup. We're gonna start with Group A and Russia. Russia. Um, 
you know, coming into this tournament, uh, I thought that Egypt was going to have no problem with them and, and squeak their way through to second in the group. Uh, they've only, Russia have only played Egypt and Saudi Arabia, but this team looks fucking good. Um, they have my favorite guy in the tournament so far, a six foot five striker that looks like he should be playing linebacker for Michigan. I think his name is uh, Giuba. Um, he's a sub who's come on and scored two goals already for them. Uh, Sean, you know, as someone that, I mean, the three of us, we don't watch Russia. Russia was the lowest ranked team in the tournament because they didn't have to play any qualifiers to get in. You've been impressed with Russia so far, right? Absolutely. I mean, you guys remember correctly, though. I was saying that they were going to actually get through. So yeah, you did. I feel, you did. <laughs> I, I, feel all, I feel all right about all right. that. Uh, who do you know in, uh, Who do you know in Chicago? I told you. That. Yeah, what rush? The not the Polish guy. <laughs> yeah, to, I, yeah. Poland actually has been a bad pick of mine. But back to Russia. Hey, Putin's Putin's got these guys going right. Yeah. I mean, the right the right dose of anabolic steroids with a little bit of adrenaline and. Who knows what they're putting in these guys, you know, the Saudis and the Egyptians food in the morning. So the perfect storm and I'd expect nothing less. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, Russia's Russia's going to be through. It seems most likely uh, that they'll play Spain or Portugal, which will be really fascinating. Um, who do they have? They have Saudi Arabia in the last game. Russia. Uruguay. Oh, no, they have Uruguay in the last game. That'll be really interesting. That'll um, be for the group. Uruguay, Uruguay does need to take care of business tomorrow. They have Saudi Arabia uh, tomorrow. They eked out a one nothing victory over Egypt on an 89th-minute goal. Nick, kind of what did you think about Uruguay? Have you Were you impressed with them in their first game? Um, me, I thought it was a tale of two halves. I thought they were completely lost and lethargic in the first half, and then the second half they kind of figured it out. Kinda, what do you think about them, and do you still like them going forward? I do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ride them. I think they'll figure it out. Um, I think kind of the overall whole theme of the first round was, you know, we'll refer back to my, my podcast, uh, my, my statements in the last podcast where I said first round games, you take the under, and that was kind of the classic game, whereas they, they somehow figured yeah. out a way to win one nothing. Um, and I wish I took my own advice, but of course I did. <laughs> and I decided it, it doesn't sound too good and take all overs and Sean smiling over here. I am. I I was. It's been a bad first game of the World Cup, so we got a couple weeks to bounce back. Um, I think games will start to get more interesting, and I think there will be some you know continued goal scoring, uh, especially with this crazy this crazy soccer ball. It seems like yeah, everything's going in off set pieces and. Well, so I wanted to ask both of you about great soccer and crazy scoring. That being the best game of the first round, the best game in Group B, arguably could be the best game of the entire tournament. I want to know about Spain-Portugal. Um, it was a heavyweight. It was two top 10 teams kicking the shit out of each other, both physically, but also just with gorgeous goals and awesome plays. It had everything. It had a Ronaldo trip and a penalty. It had a perfect Ronaldo free kick. It had Diego Costa and Pepe tangling up with Costa putting a rocket in the corner. Um, it had a De Gea howler. Um, as somebody that likes Spain going in, I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, and it had a tie. To be honest, I thought that was a totally fair result for both teams. Sean, um, give me your impressions of that Spain-Portugal game and, and what you think about both teams going forward. Oh, yeah, I think one of the things that I thought was incredibly interesting was leading up to the match, Spain's manager was axed what, 24 hours before kickoff much, or yeah. whatever whatever it's called in, in soccer. And Portugal, and Cristiano Ronaldo getting slapped with a $20 million tax evasion fine, suit, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the technical term is, two hours before the start. From Spain, so was, by the way, that was mind games. The Spanish Federation knew exactly what they were doing, and I will not hear any other answer besides for that. Hey, don't poke the bear, right? I mean, <laughs> what I was hearing was Ronaldo was a little bit past his prime. Portugal was kind of limping into the tournament. First. And, right? And all of a sudden, he is just proves that he is steps up in the, in the big lights, big city, and seemed from my perspective to, I mean, he had a hat trick. So yeah. if it wasn't for him, it wasn't going to be a close game. So 
Ronaldo is the kind of the, the takeaway for me there. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to watch it all. Um, but you know, just the fact that there's no chance that I would be able to be playing like that ever, first of all, of course, but second, with a $20 million fine impending. So the mental, the physical. Change. Yeah, he's not so worried about the money, I can tell you that much. Hey, that's a, that, that's a lot of sponsorships that we are losing out. Yeah, twenty yeah. million. Dollars. he'll be fine. He'll be fine. If you look like that and you can play like that, he'll be fine. Nicky, what would you think? That's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that game was amazing. I was watching it in my, in my warehouse. Um, you know, dual, dual screen, uh, had it going. And yeah, it was, it was exciting. It was everything you want in a World Cup game. You get the free kick goal. You get the Ronaldo hat trick. You get this, the classic Spanish team that's going to score beautiful goals. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why you watch the World Cup for those games instead of the Uruguay 1-0 games. Um, and yeah, I mean, both those teams, I think they could easily be easily both of those teams could be quarterfinalists. Sure. Um, you know, like we said, it, it seems likely that it will be, I think it'll be Spain, Russia, and Portugal, Uruguay. Um, I think both of those games would be awesome. Um, I think the 2010 champs having to play Russia in a true away game in the round of 16 would be really hard and awesome. Um, And I think Uruguay, Portugal would be great. You have, you know, with three of the best strikers in the world, so... Hopefully we get that. Um, we'll move on to Group C, uh, where in the first game, France really struggled. Um, it took a late, looked like a Paul Pogba goal that was ultimately called back as an own goal for France to get by 2-1. Uh, Samuel Umtiti had a hand of God moment where uh, he didn't know what sport he was playing, and it hit him right in the wrist. Uh, not a great moment for them. Um, and Denmark, my, uh, my adopted country that I've spent four days in, uh, in the calendar year, uh, eked out against Peru. I was at a bar in New York, and uh, the Peruvian fans brought their own drums. They were going absolutely wild. They completely outplayed the Danes, um, and they weren't able to get one. Um, Sean, between France and Denmark, uh, thoughts? Uh, do you expect both teams to take care of business in their next games, which would mean that they would play each other for the group with six points each? I do. I, I mean, I am not a, I'm not a fan of the French soccer culture slash team. It seems like they always kind of get there and then they flop at the end. So in true French fashion, I think they are going to advance, but then get out in the corners or se- quarters or semis, okay. despite having one of the most talented rosters in the entire world. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of my takeaway. I'm going to keep riding that until, uh, until I'm proven otherwise. As, as evidence in which it's one thing we didn't talk about, which is a complete off the rails analogy or references, the Capitals, right? The Capitals were President's Cup winners, the regular season winners for five years in a row or something, never could get it done. They got it done this year. So maybe France with always high expectations and a talented team will actually sprint to the, through the finish line here. But until that happens, I am not a believer. Yeah, I mean, you you watched some of the games. You, you saw what France looked like. I mean, what, what do you think about France? What do you think about Denmark? I mean, do, do you think that Denmark has a chance? And, and are you discouraged by France's mediocre performance in the first game? Yeah, I mean, I think France has – their last two games have been very disappointing against the U.S. and Australia. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's credit to the U.S. and Australia and the way they play, and it doesn't really let France open up their offense. Um but, but yeah, it, it was disappointing, and um, they do have to figure it out because they might make it out of the group, as Sean was saying, but that's not how you get far in the World Cup, yeah. the way they're playing. They're, they're not getting good looks, and they're not kind of keeping possession and actually, you know, passing with a purpose. Um, but I, I did read an article, and I thought it was pretty interesting how regimented their, their roster and their schedule is um, at the World Cup in terms of all these players. They all – get a choice of, you know, six options for, for food each day. And that they have two energy, two, two proteins, two, uh, it's, it's insane. And like, they, they have 10 hours of sleep a day. Um, I think that could be a bad thing. Um, cause I feel like they're not kind of enjoying it. They're, they're more 
treating it like a business um, where this isn't where they're, their club team isn't where they're making their money. I think this is more about passion and playing together. Um, and I feel like they haven't really, they haven't really got that part. I feel like the, the team is taking it too much like a business. No, I think that's a, a really fair point. Um, the problem is, and we talked about this on the last one, is in 2010 in South Africa, the team was a shit show. Um, in 2014, how did they do in 2014? I don't, I don't, I don't think they did particularly well. Um, I think if they decided um, that they need to. They lost in, to Germany in the quarterfinals. Um, but, I, but I guess whoever it was at the top decided that a regime change and just a structural change was necessary at the World Cup to keep everybody organized and focused. I agree with you. I don't necessarily think it's the best method, but clearly the French are trying it. Um, I still think that they're going to find a way to get nine points in this group. Yeah. I don't think they're going to play their best game at any point in a group stage, um, but I think they'll find a way to win all the games they have to. Speaking of teams that didn't, and there are a bunch that I'm about to name, but we'll start with Argentina. Um, I mean, do you think, uh, Sean, we'll start with you. Do you think that Iceland just kind of had a perfect game plan for them? They uh, they knew how to stop Messi. Uh, Messi was able to earn him or, or get a penalty that the Icelandic goalkeeper was able to save. Iceland was able to hold on for a 1-1 draw. That was pretty much a victory for Iceland. Um, I, You guys were not as high in Iceland as me. I pick Iceland to make it out of the group. I'm just saying they've only played one game and have one point. But I think that they'll do better against Argentina than Croatia and Nigeria. Um, what's up with Iceland? Do, do, and I'm sorry, what's up with Argentina? Do you think it's an over-reliance on Messi or the teams in disarray? Sean, tell me. Yeah, I, it's from... What I'm seeing and, and, you know, trying to really tune into soccer this year, a big takeaway that I'm look, that I'm, that I notice compared to other sports is just the reliance on every person on the field. It has to be a complete imbalanced team to kind of get the result that you're looking for. And Argentina, it seems like for the last 10 years or however long I've been playing FIFA always has like an 89 or 90 offense. And then, not so great midfielder defense or certainly not defense and it seems kind of like the same old Argentinians in the sense that it's imbalanced and I mean, Iceland is tactically seems incredibly strong you know, if you have a, a, a country of 300,000 people you have to have a semblance of cohesion right like that is like so much smaller than either county that either of us live in maybe it's the size of the county that you live in right now yeah uh, just goes to show it's a tiny town, it's a tiny country, and that cohesion is incredibly important. One thing that I found to be fascinating that I realized when seeing the results of the match was that Messi has missed 50% of the penalty kicks he's taken in the world stage. And the question I have for you guys is, what's going on? Nikki? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to answer that one. That's probably, yeah, it has to be nervous, right? <laughs> Must be, it yeah. Be. That's the only. That's the only way. That was not that. a good penalty that he took no. against Hal Dorset. And I feel like I remember in the last World Cup he took some pretty bad. Yeah, he did. As well, yep. um, if not, yeah, if, I think more than one. Um, so yeah, that is that is interesting. Um, Sean, I guess going off your point before, um, a team we haven't talked about. I thought that looked really good with Belgium. Yeah. Um, Oh, we're jumping. You want to jump to Belgium? I kind of want to jump to Belgium. I really, I really did do like the way they're playing, and I think, as you were saying about the, I think the same analogy about the Capitals, um, kind of could work with Belgium, where they have been a very top-ranked team, and this is has been their golden, golden years for soccer. Sure. Maybe this is when they figure it out and finally stop from being a top-ranked team in FIFA and start putting it together in a tournament. Um, they looked really good in the first game. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But Sean, how much of that is? pure talent and how much of that is a byproduct of playing Panama who even though the U.S. didn't make it and Panama did Panama's not a particularly good world team um and unfortunately I don't think Tunisia is particularly good we'll talk about England and their game against Tunisia that was uh quite interesting but do you think that Belgium you know based on watching that one game you saw uh you know we'll talk about it but we saw Germany struggle we saw Brazil struggle we saw Argentina struggle. We saw France struggle. Belgium cruised. 
Um, is that a, a big deal, just kind of getting out of your first game without really having to break too much of a sweat? Absolutely. I think that in massive – I think that massive events are, are a great equalizer, so to speak. But, I mean, folks rise up to the occasion that are underdogs with nothing to lose, and the best players in the world, like Messi – are nervous, right? And we're, it kind of shows that everyone, you know, everyone kind of suffers from similar, similar issues. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is no match has been easy, right? We're seeing Brazil tie, we're seeing Japan win. Granted, Colombia did pick up a red card in the first two minutes, but I don't think any victory should be discounted. And the, the, the offense that Belgium has is incredibly scary. Uh, it seems like they have great, great passing, great shooting, great finishing, lots of confidence. They have the experience now. Um, and once they had that first goal, I mean, those next two goals were just rapid fire. So they look great. Um, I'm not discounting any sort of victory. I am with Nick. I'm now on the Belgian bandwagon. Um, they seem like a fun team to root for, and they're going to score a lot of goals. Hop on. We're we're Nick and I. Are, Nick and I are here. Nick and I both have a little bit of money on Belgium, so we're the bandwagon is is open for uh, for teammates for sure. Um, I did just want to hit on a few other quick first group stage results quickly. Uh, Brazil tying Switzerland. Um, I don't think that the Brazilians looked particularly sharp in that game. Uh, the Swiss did want to uh, muddy it up. Um, they managed to get their lone goal on header in the 50th minute and just kind of sat as far back as they could. Um, England, fucking England. Uh, they left it to the, the last minute possible. And Sir Harry Kane, as he always does, as a Tottenham guy, I've seen it time and time again, rescued England. Um, they celebrated like they won the World Cup in London. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of the videos, but it was uh, it was a little bit excessive. For, for beating Tunisia 2-1 uh, on an extra time goal. Um, I, I'm glad they did celebrate, but I, I think it's a little bit much. Um, Group H, we had another uh, hand of God moment this morning with Colombia. Uh, the defender sticking his hand in the middle and Colombia ultimately losing 2-1, playing 10 men for uh, the, rem- the last 90 minutes. Uh, and Poland, Sean, your, your Chicago Polish community uh, they couldn't pull it out. They really looked lost. Um, again, do you want to talk about over-reliance? Poland is extremely over-reliant on Lewandowski. Uh, he really couldn't get any touches and any clean looks today. Um, it'll be really interesting. We get Poland and Colombia. The loser of that game will definitely be eliminated. Um, that'll be really awesome to see two teams playing an elimination game in the second game of the group stage when we thought both teams would easily go through. Um, but the one the last result that I want to ask both of you about Mexico, Germany, I would say Mexico kind of dominated that game. Um, if you would have told a, a, a random person, it was two teams and, and you would have said that Mexico and Germany, you know, you, you didn't know what their rankings were. Um, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that thought that Germany looked better than Mexico. Sean, were you impressed with the Mexicans? I, I know as, as U.S. soccer fans, we're, we're not supposed to jump on that bandwagon like Landon Donovan did. Uh, but, yeah, I know. Shake your head. Shake your head. He's a, he's a disgrace. But Mexico looked really fucking good, didn't they? I, I was blown away with how confident they looked. Absolutely. I think that they saw there's a big opportunity to advance. I mean, they always are confident going into a world stage or a intercontinental stage, but a lot of people picked them as the second team, and I think that they were playing with a lot more confidence that they were used to. Germany, I mean, no World Cup team has ever won it three years in a row or three tournaments in a row. So it's their time, evidently. I mean, I was thinking Germany was going to win it all. It sounds like that. I, I do not feel very confident in my answer now. Um, fortunately, I was – well, fortunately, I was actually able to get on the golf course during the – during the uh, the game, so was not able to watch it, uh, but didn't seem like there was many threats of, of Germany even scoring a goal. So interested to hear what you guys had to say from a from kind of that perspective. Yeah, I think it was just the classic counterattack game, and Mexico perfected it for sure. They so they you know kind of bend but don't break defense in the second 
that they can possess the ball. They were breaking out, and it was Chicharito and Carlos Vela. And Irving Lozano. And Lozano yeah. as well. Yeah, he made a great runs. I mean, he won the game. He scored a great goal. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was just the, a classic great tactics. And, you know, we're going to sit in, and the second we can, we know we can push the ball and get out in front, we're going to do it. And, it, you know, they probably should have scored at least two more goals. I was going to say, yeah, Mexico probably should have had two or three. You're totally right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a – you know, they, sh- they shit-pumped them. Yeah, they, they did. They really would have won nothing. Won nothing yeah. but they made Germany look like a beatable team. They did. And that's tough to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally, totally right. Um, yeah, I mean, defensively, they look extremely sound. They have a, a really veteran squad. Um, another guy I want to mention that they have is Andres Cordado. I thought he played pretty well for them. Um, but I'd be remiss not to mention uh, Memo Ochoa, uh, the goalie I thought literally was, was awesome. Um, as we've seen in, in all the World Cups, really, to make a run, you need an awesome goalkeeper. Um, who can do it not just for one game, but over a stretch of three, four, five games. Uh, Ochoa in this game, according to ESPN stats, had nine saves. Uh, so, you know, y- you can you can uh, attribute the Mexican counterattack to being awesome in all of these things. Um, but Ochoa was outstanding. Uh, defensively, they were great. Um, I'm excited to see this Mexican team now. Uh, they have Sweden and South Korea left in the group. Sweden eked out South Korea 1-0 on a penalty. Uh, neither team really looked very good. Um, if Mexico can even keep somewhat of the form, I mean, they should get no less than seven. It'd be really interesting if Mexico is, is able to hold on to the group because if Brazil wins the group and Germany finishes second, uh, they would play in the round of 16. So, you know. It wouldn't just be Russia and, and Spain. We'd get Germany, Brazil. So that would be awesome. Um, we have a whole slate of games this week. Uh, the end of, of the second set of games ends on Sunday. So we'll be back and, and we'll talk about that. Um, but I also want to hit on the NBA draft. Um, where, oh, yeah, Sean, go ahead. So one of our listeners actually had a couple questions. Can you guys discuss cards in the World Cup? Do they get carried over? Does anything happen if you get a yellow in one game and another yellow in a different game? So for, you know, we're at various levels up the curve when it comes to soccer knowledge. So you guys could spend 30 seconds covering repercussions of yellow cards. Yeah. So um, up until I believe the quarterfinals, semifinals, the semifinals, it's card accumulation. So if you get two, you have to sit out a game and then they reset. And then once you get to the semifinals, you're, you're in the clear. Um, I don't like that rule, um, particularly because each referee is slightly different with how they officiate the game. Uh, some games, a, a, a seemingly innocuous tackle is a yellow, and some games it's nothing. Um, so it really is on. It, it's depending on how the ref calls it. Um, I think if you get two yellows um, in the group stage, stage then. If you pick up two yellows over the course of three games, you should be suspended for the round of 16. You shouldn't be allowed to get two yellows in three games. Um, but then after the group stage, it should be wiped away. Um, I don't like for the semifinals because that means that you need to only pick up two yellows in five games. Yeah. Um, there's times where yellow cards are part of the game where if you're trying to stop an attack, you'll take a yellow to, to kind of break up a, a counter. Um, and I am not a fan of that rule. Um, you will see at least one extremely important player to their team be suspended for a game because of the yellow card accumulation. I don't know who it's going to be, but I mean, the world cup has been chippy. So yeah, probably. So definitely a good question. Um, Nick and I are definitely anti this rule. Uh, we'd love some reform on the rule, but you know, we can't do anything to change it. Um, any, any other listener questions, Sean, before I move on to the NBA? No, not not right now. All right. I'm sure we'll get some next week. Well, I'm sure we will. I hope so. Keep keep sending those questions, whether they're in Chicago, whether they're in uh, Arlington, Virginia. We're, uh, we're looking out for you. Um, hey, we're international, too. Oh, are we? All right, I'll, have, I'll, have to check, uh, I'll have to check the, uh, the demographic metrics. statistics. Yeah, we'll have to look at the analytics. Um, so I did want to touch on the NBA draft for a little bit. Um, we obviously are college basketball guys. This is what we love. 
Um, you know, we got to watch a ton of these guys play this year. Um, kind of looking at some of the top 10 picks. So DeAndre Ayton, uh, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson Jr., who went 0-2 against Michigan. We won't hold that against him, but he went 0-2 against Michigan. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., um, um, Colin Sexton, Trey Young, Wendell Carter Jr., and uh, my favorite, I'm a sucker for uh, for international basketball players, so Luka Doncic that I think is going to be a stud. Sean, of those guys, um, who in the top 10 do you really like? And uh, and who who do you think do you see having a really nice NBA career? DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic. Not sure if I pronounced his name correctly. I think Doncic is but... Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, Ayton is just an absolute – freak he uh he looked amazing when i saw him every time i saw him play at arizona my big thing is just hoping he stays healthy it seems like all these big guys are so boomer bust so uh hopefully he he does not suffer any sort of career altering injuries but uh really excited to see him a dominant really big and physically imposing center um seems like we've kind of gotten away from that in the nba and would love to see a renaissance there so do you think One of the, the interest- nba will will find a team that will play around him and through him even if teams that are winning the championships like the warriors are playing more five out than they ever have i hope so i mean if you're taking someone number one overall and you have a guy like don chips on the board that you're passing up i think that you have to make a uh, a be- a thoughtful decision on how you are running the offense. I think Devin Booker and uh, DeAndre Ayton could be a great one-two punch. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think that when you're when you play against guys who have these weaker fives and a little bit more mobile but less bruisers, you really need to kind of take advantage of that. And I think the Warriors are a good example. Um, you know, if, if Ayton can show that he can defend the three-point line at least decently, especially when there's not a three-point threat that's a center out there, then you know. Pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock. And similar to what we did against Loyola, right? I mean, Mo had, what, 26 and 16 or something unbelievable. Yeah. And that goes back to Beeline being the ultimate tactician and something that uh, I'd expect uh, the Suns to do. One of the interesting things about DeAndre Ayton, as well as Marvin Bagley, which is, you know, who's considered going to be the number two overall pick by some sources, both of them signed with a shoe company that is not Nike, it's not Adidas, that is not Big Baller brand, that is not Reebok, but Puma. Yeah. So the rebirth. Fascinating to see. Yeah, fascinating to see the rebirth of that. I think Jay Z is running their Puma Hoops team. Yeah, he was. Named so hopefully president. it is. He was named president yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully it's more successful than uh, Title, his uh, competitor to, to Spotify. You so, Dada's? no, no Dada with the spinners, yeah. Who won? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Spurlock. So hey, we'll see what happens no, with these guys. Sprewell, the Spreewell spinners. Oh, Dada is different. Mm. Same know. company. I don't know what those are. Okay, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, we'll whatever you're talking about, Nikki. Bring them back. Bring them back. <laughs> maybe Grayson. Maybe Grayson can throw something in there. Yeah, make it, um, make it happen. But to your question, uh, Luka Doncic, I think, is one of the most NBA-ready players we've seen in the last five years. And yeah. he's a guy that has dominated EuroLeagues and one of the, playing for one of the preeminent teams over in Spain, Real Madrid. Teams that, Excited. by the way, would wreck college teams. Wreck. Yes, wreck college yeah. teams. And is, and is just putting up great numbers yeah. as a 19-year-old. So. Really excited to see this guy. I think he has one of the higher floors um, in the game. I totally agree. So, want him? I just want him to go anywhere but the Kings. It seems like that's just a black hole for for, for players. players so, yeah. Um, those are the two guys in the top ten that I'm interested in, in kind of seeing and following. For sure, Nikki. Yeah, I mean, I think Aiden as well is someone um, that will be really fun to watch for the next few years. Um, and I think he is more athletic than people give him credit. For sure. I think uh, that is one of his big things is I think he may be asked to hit, hit some three balls um, for them. I think he can shoot it. And I think he kind of brings an awesome 
awesome style of play to the center position that, you know, he can be a big guy, but he also can be a dude that can run the, fo- run the floor. Oh, yeah. And, and um, I, I don't understand how the Suns team isn't going to be good. Maybe not next year, but in two years. For sure, they, they have should be really good. It kind of seems like a lot like uh, the 76ers, just a couple years behind. No doubt. Um, and, yeah, I mean, after that, I, I guess in the uh, for lottery picks, I don't understand how Deron Jackson Jr. is going so high. Um, I'll, I'll die on that hill. I think he is very overrated as a player. I don't wow. think he plays with much passion. Um, I have some sources on that from a Big Ten tournament uh, <laughs> where he doesn't really play with passion, and that's that's hard to do if you're playing uh, basketball as your career. It's true. Um, to be successful while not being passionate about by your job. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out. Um, I guess, Sean, with you, on this mock draft, I have uh, Wendell Carter going to the Bulls. Is that a good pick? I don't know if you follow the Bulls too much, uh, being kind of a transplant into Chicago, but I really like the way Wendell Carter plays. Um, yeah, and I don't think he got to show his full skill set at Duke with, with having five guys. That, yeah, I, I totally think that. So I think yeah. he could be a surprise as a very, very uh, diverse diverse player in the league um, in terms of, like, what he can offer to a team. He yeah. can rebound well. Um, he, he's pretty high efficiency. So we'll see how he turns out. Those are, I guess, two centers that could be pretty good. For um, sure. In the league in the, next, I hope, in the next five years. I hope the, I hope the Bulls will – I hope that, first of all, Michael Porter Jr. is healthy enough to – you know, compete immediately and we're not going to see some sort of situation where he's just kind of on the team but not playing and not an instant impact guy because the Bulls need, the Bulls need someone quick. Um, You know, they, they don't have kind of, I'm not, I'm not very uh, optimistic about the future for them. Wendell Carter seems like he has a high floor again, seems like a pretty high IQ player, lacks a little bit of kind of lateral athleticism, um, but seems like a guy that you could kind of stick there and kind of have him be a starter, be a significant role player for the next five to 10 years. So um, with that considered, he seems like a kind of a nice pick, but ideally would like to see a guy like Michael Porter Jr. come in um, and really be kind of a playmaker and that superstar that that the Bulls need. Yeah, for sure. Um, as a Knicks fan, I'm kind of hoping that uh, Porter Jr. falls to nine. Uh, the Knicks, for what feels like the eighth year in a row, are targeting a point guard again. Uh, Frank Nilekina, who can't shoot, was drafted last year in the top ten. Um, he's okay off the ball, um, but I don't want another point guard like Colin Sexton or Trey Young to end up in New York. I have a funny feeling that one of those two will be selected at nine by the Knicks. Um, I'd love to see Porter Jr. I'm with you, Sean. Um, I think talent-wise, it's, it's kind of crazy how his stock has fallen about seven or eight spots. Um, you don't get guys that grow on trees that are 6'10 and can shoot and handle and move the way that he can. Um, and I hate to bring back the Warriors, but I'm bringing back the Warriors. They play four guys that are between 6'6 and 6'8 or 6'9, whatever you want to list to rant at. They can do all of those things. They shoot, they dribble, they pass, they move the ball. So even if if Michael Porter Jr. low ceiling is Sean Livingston, to me, he's still worth taking a gamble on in that regard alone. He's way more athletic than Livingston. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't I don't know what I think about the Michael Porter Jr. Um, I guess whole idea behind him because I mean, how many how many minutes have we seen him play? Four, two, Four, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like, and he was garbage in the one NCAA tournament game he did play. Exactly. And, and that's what is tough for me. Um, I get that it's all about the potential and he's young and you can develop him. And, yeah, he does, you know, the worst he should be is a Sean Livingston, so why not take the risk? I get that. But it's to me, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even like he's deserved it. And that's what's like – that sounds terrible to me, but, like – and I know I'm going to regret saying that. I feel like – he hasn't shown any skill. It's like he's played well in high school and then got hurt, and yep. now he's ready for the NBA, even though he hasn't rehabbed, and people have seen him proven as a player after he was out for a year. Sure. Um, so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see which team kind of takes that risk, because I think even if it does seem like a sure thing, that is a big risk to take as a lottery pick. For sure. Speaking of guys that will be a little bit lower, um, some of the guys that Michigan played this year, I just wanted to – 
to make a brief mention of and ask kind of what you guys thought. Um, so guys like Mikhail Bridges, Robert Williams, Miles Bridges, Kevin Herter, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, Aaron Holiday, Kata Bates Diop, uh, Jalen Brunson. Um, are, do any of those guys, do any of those names jump out to you as guys that can kind of be taken in the mid to late first round that you think uh, can actually make an impact on a team to start? I really like Keita Bates-Diop. I thought that he was, I mean, the knock on him, I guess, is he's a little older. I thought he's showed tremendous strides throughout his college career. His long, his smart, his cerebral, was able to per- produce. And I think to Nick's point, like, you want gamers. You want guys that are playing college basketball under pressure, carrying their team. And uh, I think that he he showed that kind of to the utmost extent. Uh, I, I, I know Nick doesn't like Jaron Jackson. I know that he has some sources behind that. I mean, the guy is just a freak. What a seven-three wingspan, or seven even more. Could be even longer than that. He's going to be a guy that I think is going to be able to make it, make it in the league. Macau um, Bridges uh, can shoot the lights out of the ball. Has an unbelievable wingspan as well. Uh, he seems interesting, especially if he goes to the Sixers and kind of stays in Philly. So those are some of the guys that I'm kind of thinking about. One interesting person that I'm surprised is drafted is kind of projected to be drafted so high is Kevin Herter or, yeah, Hoyter or Herter, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The forward from uh, Maryland, who's a great shooter. Uh, but I didn't think that he was like a freak you know, top 15 or mid first round kind of player. Uh, looks like he could be drafted there. So and you got to have some sort serious athleticism to be playing in the league for a long time. And you have to have more than just one really good skill set. I'm not convinced Kevin has anything beyond a great and pure shot. Yeah. I think people think that Kevin Herter is Kyle Korver light who has a better, I hate to compare white guys to white guys, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I think he's got a better handle. I think he's more athletic. Um, and I also don't think we got to see his full skill set at Maryland. Um, I think his first year, they were chock full of talent. Um, they had a ton of guys. I think Diamond Stone might have been on that team. Um, I don't think that Herder got to display his full skill set. And then this past year, um, they had a couple guys get hurt. And uh, Maryland just kind of uh, tanked. kind of Not actually tanked, because you can't do that in college basketball. But they fell off at the end of the year. Um, I think Herder could be really good. Um, I also like DiVincenzo. Um, he kicked our ass. Let, let's let's call a spade a spade. Uh, he was he was incredible in the national championship game. Uh, I think he could be a really good talent. I like his shot. I like the way he gets off the bounce. Nikki, is there any guy that we haven't talked about that you really like? I would just uh, bring up the the other guy um, on Villanova, Jalen Brunson. Sure. And I mean, I'll even throw in Amari Spellman if he gets drafted in the second round or something like sure. that. I think any of those dudes from that Villanova team for yeah. the last few years are going to be very, very good in the pros. What, just what position does Spellman play? That's my only concern for him. I think he's going to play a similar kind of four role, maybe Dream maybe on. play the five, somewhere somewhere in between there okay. where he can be a guy that uh, that can stay down low for your team for sure. and get it done. Um, as well as, uh, I, I guess, be a true defensive stopper. Sure. Um, I just think all four of those guys. Just yeah, they know how to play. They know how to, they bring know how to play. They're really good at basketball. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. I, I mean, watching them just destroy my hopes and dreams. Yep. As well as them doing that to every team. Every I mean, team. Yeah. No team was close against them. No team was close. I yeah, think, I mean, they, co- they all, easily covered every single spread. Yeah. There's that, a reason that the running joke was they don't even know their best player on their it own team. It was true. Because it's it was true. true. It yeah. really is no, true. That's a good point. It'll be interesting to kind of see how each of those kind of each guy does on their own within uh, the, the scheme of an NBA team. The last guy that we have to touch on, we'd be remiss if we didn't as a Michigan podcast, Sean, what's going to happen with Mo? We've, we've been hearing a lot of rumors about mid to mostly late first round. He maybe will slip into the beginning of the second round. Uh, it's kind of a tricky range because he could fall to a potential contender or he could fall to a team in the doldrums um, that I think would be really bad for his development. Um, where do you see him going, and how do you see him doing in the NBA, at least for his first year? 
So I see him. The, what the comment that these GMs are saying and these scouts are saying about Mo is kind of the exact opposite of what folks were saying about Jaron Jackson, which is the love, the passion, the work ethic associated with the game. Uh, Mo did everything he needed to do and more to prove that he is an NBA-ready player. For sure. uh, his rebounding efficiency went through the roof. His defense as a whole went through the roof. And uh, he's he showed that he's willing to put in the work uh, to get there. I think a guy who can bring in that constant energy is is something that's really interesting, and he could kind of pioneer that stretch five role that uh, I think he's going to be playing. Uh, I think he's going to do great. Intense guy can shoot and has a pure shot, and also can put it on the on the on the floor like few players that I've ever seen uh, can do. So really optimistic for him, and it kind of centers around his enthusiasm and love for the game. So. That's that's kind of my stock and mo. Uh, as far as teams, I mean, I'm hearing from some sources that uh, the Wizards are actually working out, him out pretty hard, huh. which would be interesting, especially with uh, the aging Gortat um, kind of occupying the five role there. Another team that I would love, love, love to see is at 21, the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Jazz Mitchell has had, quickly Jazz become... Jazz had tremendous interest in him last year but more toward the end of the second round as opposed to toward the top of the first or the, mid, the end of the first round. Yeah. I mean, I think Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches out there. Sure. Donovan Mitchell is my favorite player. Um, Gortat, no, sorry, not Gortat. Rudy Gobert uh, is one of the most impactful defensive players in the game. I think he was defensive player of the year this year. Uh, so would love to see Mo in a spot there where he can develop more, he can come out, be a high-energy guy, um, and kind of produce on the offensive end that Gortat can't as much. No doubt. Uh, so those are the two teams that I really am, am kind of rooting for on his end. Um, that being said, I do know that the Grizzlies are looking at him and kind of beginning the second round. The Warriors may, may kind of look there um, as another bigger guy who can um, stretch the floor and play into their team. Um, but I, I would love to see him, him at the jazz. I mean, John Beeline's players, um, you know, kind of across the board from Nick Stauskas to DJ Wilson to Trey Burke have had that late push right before the draft process where they kind of squeeze up and, and get, get, uh, get drafted by teams a little bit higher than what they were thinking. So expect the same to be, uh, be with Mr. Mo. And, uh, if I'm a betting man, um, or as a betting man, I'm going to have him at, uh, at in Salt Lake City with the Jazz. At 21. At 21. Wow. Okay. Yeah, the one team that you did mention that I know that Nick and I have been joking about would be awesome for him to land is Brooklyn. Uh, they've already got Stauskas. Uh, they've already got Karis LeVert. would be really fun to have a third Michigan guy there. A super young team. Uh, probably not ready to compete this year, but maybe a year or two away from – I mean, the Eastern Conference is usually a load of crap. So it's not that inconceivable that the Nets, with a couple of lucky breaks, could make the playoffs. Where do you see Mo going, um, and kind of who do you think would be a really good fit for him? Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome to get kind of the Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn Michigan. Yeah, um, <laughs> that'd be that'd be a fun fun time to go to, get, to see all those guys for play. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I do also think that and, and hope he goes to a team that can develop him, something like the Warriors, um, late in the first round. Um, I think that would be an interesting play for him and be able to kind of figure out how to play in the new age of basketball very quickly. Um, so I would say that I'm, I'm hoping for either, yeah, obviously the Warriors um, and then, yeah, Brooklyn just for, for selfishness. Get to see him play more. For sure. Um, yeah, the NBA draft is always one of those weird, fickle things that you can run as many mocks as you want. There's always some guy like DJ Wilson – or like Stauskas guys that kind of sneak up and go way higher than you think. I think that's a beeline thing, Sean. I'm, I'm going to give you that one there. Um, speaking of Michigan, do we have any other Michigan news and notes that we missed that you can fill us in on? Absolutely. So Isaiah Hole, a content creator, let's call it that. He's a blogger. He's an insider. He's a photographer. He launched a new website called the Wolverine Wire. Um, one of the interesting kind of breaks and insider things that he mentioned was a guy by the name of Jake McCurry. Uh, he is from 
Brandon De La Salle. He's a sophomore and a walk-on wide receiver that supposedly is making noise. Um, to further validate that, actually, players and former players on the Michigan team endorsed him uh, or endorsed Isaiah's take on Twitter. Uh, so uh, interesting to see what he does. I mean, I think it's going to be kind of a Nate Shanley role where a couple receptions and a lot of special team plays. But go check out Isaiah Hole's Wolverine Wire if you haven't already. Um, another thing is Michigan has now changed uh, their end zones for the first time ever. Uh, so as opposed to the grass-colored end zones that only a handful of teams have, Michigan State, Notre Dame, or some of the, the regional ones, uh, they went to the blue end zone, which about 80, 70 to 80% of college football has. Um, I don't think that there's much to say about that. I mean, it looks nice. It pops out. Um, when I heard about it, I didn't love the idea, but seeing the images, it looks nice. And uh, the name of the game is getting in the, t- getting in the end zone. So yeah. we'll, see, uh, we'll see if it's effective or not. Another thing, uh, University of Michigan Athletic Department announced their teams of the year. Uh, on the men's side, we'll start there. And unsurprisingly, it was a basketball team. Exceeded expectations and Good I think time. showed a sense of swagger and grit that we haven't seen um, from a, a major Michigan men's sport in a very long time. So yeah, hashtag pay beeline. That's what it comes down to. Hashtag, hashtag pay beeline. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the other side, on the women's side, the Michigan field hockey team uh, won team of the year. So they actually swept uh, the Big Ten, both the regular season and the uh, tournament. Very, very difficult to do. The Big Ten is one of the best, if not the best, conferences in the country um they uh, were an amazing team to watch uh, they had an all-american goalkeeper they had a couple all-american field players it's going to be kind of a re- rebuild year this year but excited to see um in particular guadalupe fernandez Laporte. she's an argentine that is just a maestro with the ball um you know you could almost consider messi a poor man's guadalupe so wow. um, oh. Check, club, check, club, check her out. Club or international um, club. Does, can she, can she uh, make it in the big moments? Is she going to miss a penalty or is Guadalupe going to yeah. knock it right in? She's going to knock it right in. She's going to be. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure? She is. Guadalupe? I, Either one. It might be Guadalupe. It's probably Guadalupe, but we'll let, we'll let Sean ride with this one. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is. I call her Guada. So I mean, oh, I sorry, sorry. Sorry that you're yeah. the, the um, expert. So, no, hats off to the field hockey team. Uh, one of the things that I want to get on air and something that I am dedicated to, to solving if I get enough free time and the means to do it is making sure that every single Michigan sport is broadcasted and done so in a way that every Michigan fan can watch. I think it is doing a disservice fundamentally to women's sports, Olympic sports, and sports that don't have the kind of coverage to not show these games. Uh, when there's thousands of fans across the country, across Ann Arbor, who want to see it, but may not have the means to get to Ann Arbor and watch it live every single time. So throwing it out there, um, that's one of the things that I would love to fix. Not very hard, um, but something that gets me so frustrated. So if you ever see, uh, if you ever catch me on Twitter this fall on Friday or Sunday, chances are I will be ranting and raving about the lack of coverage to see, uh, one of the best field hockey teams in the country play. For sure. Well, I know that we can always count on you for little nuggets and tidbits. Uh, and since I know the field hockey team lost the national championship, we'll, uh, we'll have you be our inside man uh, when the season gets going. Uh, but with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, since as crazy as the World Cup was in week one, uh, I'm sure there will be a ton of twists and turns that go on uh, in the second week as well. Um, this is the first time the teams have a chance to punch their ticket to the knockout stage. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see. Uh, we'll also have coverage of the NBA draft. Um, interesting to see where Mo goes um, and any picks and surprises that we have. Uh, boys, I think I think that's it. Uh, we're making it through the summer. There's there's no Michigan sports going on, but we're, uh, we're trucking on. Uh, if you like what we're doing, I would tell you to rate, comment, and subscribe, but we don't even know where that goes, so don't. Uh, if you like it, shoot us a text. Uh, let us know. We appreciate your feedback, whether it be from Arlington or Chicago or New York or wherever it might be. Uh, 
And so signing off for Josh Stern, Sean Saint, and Nick Margolis. What's really going on? Drizzy back up in this thing, I'm ready. What's happening? Gone for surgery, but now I'm back again. I'm about my paper like a motherfucking scratch and win. World Series attitude, champagne bottle life. Nothing ever changes, so tonight is like tomorrow night. I will have a model wife. Yo, bitches as hot as ice. Every time you see me, I look like I hit the lotto twice. Drake, you got him, right? Yeah, I got it.